0: Hey all, and welcome to Chapter Wise, where I take public domain or other authorized use works of fiction and narrate them for you one chapter at a time. If you like what you hear, please follow my channel. If you love what you hear, please consider supporting my channel. I try to upload new chapters three or four times a week. Chapter 4 Numbers of lizards glided away from my feet as I descended the steps, and when the flare of my torch penetrated the darkness I heard a scurrying of wings mingled with various hissing sounds and wild cries. I knew now, none better, that weird and abominable things had habitated in this storehouse of the dead, but I felt I could defy them all, armed with the light I carried. The way that had seemed so long in the dense gloom was brief and easy, I soon found myself at the scene of my unexpected awakening from sleep. The actual body of the vault was square-shaped, like a small room enclosed within high walls, walls which were scooped out in various places so as to form niches in which the narrow caskets containing the bones of all the departed members of the Romani family were placed one above the other like so many bales of goods arranged evenly on the shelves of an ordinary warehouse. I held the candle high above my head and looked about me with a morbid interest. I soon perceived what I sought, my own coffin. There it was in a niche some five feet from the ground, its splintered portions bearing decided witness to the dreadful struggle I had made to obtain my freedom. I advanced and examined it closely. It was a frail shell enough, unlined, unornamented, a wretched sample of the undertaker's art though God knows I had no fault to find with its workmanship, nor with the haste of him who fashioned it. Something shone at the bottom of it. It was a crucifix of ebony and silver. That good monk again! His conscience had not allowed him to see me buried without this sacred symbol. He had perhaps laid it on my breast as the last service he could render me. It had fallen from thence, no doubt, when I had wrenched my way through the boards that enclosed me, I took it and kissed it reverently. I resolved that if ever I met the Holy Father again I would tell him my story and as a proof of its truth restore to him this cross which he would be sure to recognize. Had they put my name on the coffin lid, I wondered. Yes, there it was, painted on the wood in coarse black letters, Fabio Romani. Then followed the date of my birth, then a short Latin inscription stating that I had died of cholera on August 15, 1884. That was yesterday, only yesterday. I seem to have lived a century since then. I turned to look at my father's resting place. The velvet on his coffin hung from its sides in moldering remnants, but it was not so utterly damp, destroyed, and worm-eaten as the soaked and indistinguishable material that still clung to the massive oaken chest in the next niche where she lay, she from whose tender arms I had received my first embrace, she in whose loving eyes I had first beheld the world. I knew by a sort of instinct that it must have been with the frayed remnants on her coffin that my fingers had idly played in the darkness. I counted as before the bits of metal, eight bits lengthwise and four bits across, and on my father's close casket, there were ten silver plates lengthwise and five across. My poor little mother. I thought of her picture it hung in the library at home. The picture of a young, smiling, dark-haired beauty whose delicate tint was as that of a peach ripening in the summer sun. All that loveliness had decayed into... What? I shuddered involuntarily. Then I knelt humbly before those two sad hollows in the cold stone, and implored the blessing of the dead and gone beloved ones to whom, while they lived, my welfare had been dear. While I occupied this kneeling position, the flame of my torch fell directly on some small object that glittered with remarkable lustre. I went to examine it. It was a jeweled pendant composed of one large pear-shaped pearl set round with five rose brilliants. Surprised at this discovery, I looked about to see where such a valuable gem could possibly have come from. I then noticed an unusually large coffin lying sideways on the ground. It appeared as if it had fallen suddenly and with force, for a number of loose stones and mortar were sprinkled near it. Holding the light close to the ground, I observed that a niche exactly below the one in which I had been laid was empty, and that a considerable portion of the wall there was broken away. I then remembered that when I had sprung so desperately out of my narrow box, I had heard something fall with a crash beside me. This was the thing then, this long coffin big enough to contain a man seven feet high and broad in proportion. What gigantic ancestor had I irreverently dislodged? And was it from a skeleton throat that the rare jewel which I held in my hand had accidentally been shaken? My curiosity was excited and I bent close to examine the lid of this funeral chest. There was no name on it, no mark of any sort save one, a dagger roughly painted in red. There was a mystery. I resolved to penetrate it. I set up my candle in a little crevice of one of the empty niches and laid the pearl and diamond pendant beside it, thus disembarrassing myself of all encumbrance. The huge coffin lay on its side, as I have said. Its uppermost corner was splintered. I applied both hands to the work of breaking further asunder these already split portions. As I did so, a leathern pouch or bag rolled out and fell at my feet. I picked it up and opened it. It was full of gold pieces. More excited than ever, I seized a large pointed stone, and by the aid of this extemporized instrument, together with the force of my own arms, hands, and feet, I managed, after some ten minutes' hard labor, to break open the mysterious casket. When I had accomplished this deed, I stared at the result like a man stupefied. No moldering horror met my gaze, no blanched or decaying bones, no grinning skull mocked me with its hollow eye sockets. I looked upon a treasure worthy of an emperor's envy. The big coffin was literally lined and packed with incalculable wealth. Fifty large leathern bags tied with coarse cord lay uppermost. More than half of these were crammed with gold coins the rest were full of priceless gems. Necklaces, tiaras, bracelets, watches, chains, and other articles of feminine adornment were mingled with those loose precious stones. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, and opals, some of unusual size and luster, some uncut, and some all ready for the jeweler's setting. Beneath these bags were packed a number of pieces of silk, velvet, and cloth of gold, each piece being wrapped by itself in a sort of oilskin. Strongly perfumed with camphor and other spices. There were also three lengths of old lace, fine as gossamer, of matchless artistic design, in perfect condition. Among these materials lay two large trays of solid gold workmanship, most exquisitely engraved and ornamented, also four gold drinking cups of quaint and massive construction. Other valuables and curious trifles there were, such as an ivory statuette of Psyche on a silver pedestal a waistband of coins linked together, a painted fan with a handle set in amber and turquoise, a fine steel dagger in a jeweled sheath, and a mirror framed in old pearls. Last but not least, at the very bottom of the chest lay rolls upon rolls of paper money amounting to some millions of francs, in all far surpassing what I had myself formerly enjoyed from my own revenues. I plunged my hands deep in the leathern bags. I fingered the rich materials. All this treasure was mine. I had found it in my own burial vault. I had surely the right to consider it as my property. I began to consider how could it have been placed there without my knowledge? The answer to this question occurred to me at once. Brigands, of course. What a fool I was not to have thought of them before! The dagger painted on the lid of the chest should have guided me to the solution of the mystery. A red dagger was the recognized sign manual of a bold and dangerous brigand named Carmelo Neri, who, with his reckless gang, haunted the vicinity of Palermo. So, I thought, this is one of your bright ideas, my cutthroat Carmelo. Cunning rogue, you calculated well. You thought that none would disturb the dead, much less break open a coffin in search of gold, admirably planned, my Carmelo. But this time you must play a losing game. A supposed dead man coming to life again deserves something for his trouble, and I should be a fool not to accept the goods the gods and the robbers provide. An ill-gotten hoard of wealth, no doubt, but better in my hands than in yours, friend Carmelo. And I meditated for some minutes on this strange affair, if indeed, and I saw no reason to doubt it. I had chanced to find some of the spoils of the redoubtable Neri. This great chest must have been brought over by sea from Palermo. Probably four stout rascals had carried the supposed coffin in a mock solemn procession, under the pretense of its containing the body of a comrade. These thieves have a high sense of humor, yet the question remained to be solved, how had they gained access to my ancestral vault, unless by means of a false key? All at once I was left in darkness, my candle went out as though blown upon by a gust of air. I had my matches and of course could easily light it again, but I was puzzled to imagine the cause of its sudden extinction. I looked about me in the temporary gloom and saw to my surprise a ray of light proceeding from a corner of the very niche where I had fixed the candle between two stones. I approached and put my hand to the place. A strong draught blew through a hole large enough to admit the passage of three fingers. I quickly relighted my torch and examined this hole in the back of the niche attentively, found that four blocks of granite in the wall had been removed and their places supplied by thick square logs cut from tree trunks. These logs were quite loosely fitted. I took them out easily, one by one, and then came upon a close pile of brush. As I gradually cleared this away a large aperture disclosed itself wide enough for any man to pass through without trouble. My heart beat with the rapture of expected liberty. I clambered up, I looked, thank God I saw the landscape, the sky. In two minutes I stood outside the vault on the soft grass with a high arch of heaven above me and the broad bay of Naples glittering deliciously before my eyes. I clapped my hands and shouted for pure joy, I was free, free to return to life, to love, to the arms of my beautiful Nina, free to resume the pleasant course of existence on the gladsome earth, free to forget, if I could, the gloomy horrors of my premature burial. If Carmelo Neri had heard the blessings I heaped upon his head, he would for once have deemed himself a saint rather than a brigand. What did I not owe to the glorious ruffian? Fortune and freedom! for it was evident that this secret passage into the Romani vault had been cunningly contrived by himself or his fellows for their private purposes. Seldom has any man been more grateful to his best benefactor than I was to the famous thief upon whose grim head, as I knew, a price had been set for many months. The poor wretch was in hiding. Well, the authorities should get no aid from me, I resolved, even if I were to discover his whereabouts. Why should I betray him? He had unconsciously done more for me than my best friend. Nay, what friends will you find at all in the world when you need substantial good? Few or none. Touch the purse, test the heart. What castles in the air I built as I stood rejoicing in the morning light and my newly acquired liberty. What dreams of perfect happiness flitted radiantly before my fancy. Nina and I would love each other more fondly than before, I thought. Our separation had been brief but terrible, and the idea of what it might have been would endear us to one another with tenfold fervor. And little Stella, why, this very evening I would swing her again under the orange boughs and listen to her sweet shrill laughter. This very evening I would clasp Guido's hand in a gladness too great for words. This very night my wife's fair head would lie pillowed on my breast in an ecstatic silence broken only by the music of kisses. Ah, my brain grew dizzy with the joyful visions that crowded thickly and dazzlingly upon me. The sun had risen. His long straight beams like golden spears touched the tops of the green trees and roused little flashes as of red and blue fire on the shining surface of the day. I heard the rippling of water and the measured soft dashes of oars and somewhere from a distant boat the mellifluous voice of a sailor sung a verse of the popular ritornello. I smiled. Mori de passione. Nina and I would know the meaning of those sweet words when the moon rose and the nightingales sung their love songs to the dreaming flowers. Full of these happy fancies, I inhaled the pure morning air for some minutes and then re-entered the vault. That's it for today's chapter, everyone. Thanks for coming along on the ride. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please consider supporting my channel. And as always, whatever platform you're listening on, just know that I deeply appreciate the time you spend with me here. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.